Why modelling biological systems is crucial to our understanding of Earth's climate. We need to have a good simulation of these tropical forests, how much deforestation limits our ability to extract carbon from the atmosphere. Forecasting snow in Britain, a challenge for the greatest of minds. It's the hardest thing to forecast, I think, of, of, of all the different types of weather. And keeping the highways moving when the temperature drops. For those charged with keeping our highways clear and safe, it's vital to know what the road surface temperature, or RST, is likely to be. It's Friday the 15th of January and you're listening to Weathersnap from the Met Office. Hello, I'm Claire Nazir and you're listening to Weathersnap, an insider's guide to the week's weather brought to you direct from Met Office HQ. Computer models lie at the heart of our understanding of a changing climate. Early climate models were a simple representation of the atmosphere, land and ocean. Now, thanks to advances in supercomputing, climate models increasingly include data on biological processes. The Met Office HADGEM3 model is what's known as an Earth system model. To explain more, here's Met Office climate scientist Robin Chadwick. Earth system models, as well as modelling what we call the physics of the atmosphere, we're also trying to simulate some of the biological and chemical processes that are happening. And one thing that's very important is what's going on in tropical forests. So one thing we do is to do with what's called a carbon budget. So we're committed currently to the Paris Climate Agreement, which commits us globally to limiting global warming to well under two degrees Celsius, um, with a, a better target really of 1.5 degrees Celsius. Um, but in order to hit those targets, we need to know how much carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases we can release into the atmosphere before we go over two degrees of warming. So in order to do that, we need to have a good simulation of, for example, these tropical forests and how much they're storing carbon. And then also how much deforestation limits our ability to extract carbon from the atmosphere. Um, deforestation over the period 2010 to 2015 was the astounding rate of about a football pitch every four seconds. Or to put that in a different sense, it would only take seven months at that rate to completely raise all the forests in the UK. And this really has multiple impact on, on the climate. Um, these tropical forests take up a large amount of carbon dioxide, greenhouse gas from the atmosphere and store it as carbon. So when we deforest, we have the multiple effect. First of all, we stop these forests from absorbing carbon dioxide. And then also when the trees get burned, they release all the greenhouse gases that they're already storing back into the atmosphere. As well as that, uh, forests also have, um, they kind of make their own climate to some extent. Rainforests are incredibly rainy, as you might expect. And it's partly because um, from the leaves of the trees, they're actually releasing a large amount of water into the air all the time. And the rainforests are able to some extent um, create their own climate. So when we do cut down all these trees, um, we're actually um, changing the local climate and uh, potentially causing more drought in these regions. And it also tends to warm the region even further when we cut down these trees. Met Office climate scientist Robin Chadwick. We may not get a lot of snow in the UK, but when it comes, it can be incredibly disruptive. Forecasting snow presents unique challenges even before it arrives. To discuss the intricacies and expectations around snow forecasting, I spoke to senior meteorologist Alex Deacon. Alex, 
we've both been working in weather meteorology forecasting for about two decades or so now. One of the biggest headaches is snow during the winter. It yeah. probably comes maybe joint first with fog with me. What do you think? Oh, snow for snow number one for me. Absolutely. I, d I, d I don't really get excited about fog forecasting, but snow is such a challenge, isn't it? It's the hardest thing to forecast, I think, of, of, of all the different types of weather. And it's also, uh, you know, such a cool thing. You know, it, it literally changes landscapes like no other weather. And it raises interest as well. It gets people talking about weather as well. That also adds pressure, doesn't it? The, the Twitter arty go crazy as well. Everyone wants to know when it's going to snow exactly. Do you think it's more difficult to forecast snow in the UK than, say, the depths of Canada during the winter? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Again, well, you don't have the pressures for a start because in Canada, in the depths of winter, you expect snow. So you don't have the pressures. They're more used to it. So it doesn't happen very often here. People get very excited about it. And of course, we're, you know, we're an island as well. So we're surrounded by warm waters and that complicates the air mass is coming our way. So at the moment, we're seeing snow from a, a westerly direction. Obviously, most of our weather comes from westerlies, but we don't often get snow from a westerly because you have to have the cold air in place. And then the, 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 the westerlies bring the moisture, but they also bring that warmth. And it's a, often a battleground and often the warmth comes in before you get the snow. So for big snow events in this country, we really need an easterly. OK, yeah, you get a northerly, but often with northerlies, you're just talking showers around the peripheries. So let's talk about temperature first of all. Mm. So we're in a marginal situation here because, as you say, the, the waters surrounding us keep our atmosphere a lot milder than, say, the same latitude in, you know, in central Europe or, or in Canada. It's all about temperature, but it's not just temperature at the ground because it's everything in between the cloud and the ground. Most rain starts off as snow. It just melts on the way down. Even even in the summer months, it starts off as frozen precipitation and it comes down and it melts. Uh, but what we need to know is what the temperature is right the way from the ground up to the cloud, because there's different layers. Some are freezing, some are below freezing, some are above freezing. But also, what's the temperature on the ground? Because is the snow going to stick? Talk to me about the intensity of rain as it moves in and something called evaporative cooling. The atmosphere uses up energy melting snow to rain. So it starts off as rain at the grounds because snow is falling, it melts, but the atmosphere is using up energy to melt that snow. So the atmosphere, by using up that energy, has become colder itself. So after an hour or two, that heavy rain uh, that's falling at the surface starts off as snow, falling through a warmer atmosphere, but after an hour or two, it's falling through a colder atmosphere because the atmosphere itself has lost some energy. And finally, elevation. We talk about snow mainly on the higher ground, and that's because the temperature cools with height. Yeah, that's a simple rule of thumb. Everyone kind of knows that you see snow on, on mountain tops and, and not, not lower down. But exactly where that level is going to be is very difficult to forecast because of the things that we've talked about. And, and that difference of just of uh, a few hundred feet can make a big difference about whether one of the major trunk roads is affected or not. Another aspect we haven't even talked about is timing. If, if a band of wet weather arrives when the air is cold first thing in the morning, then you can see snow. If it's a couple of hours later, then the atmosphere's had time to warm up. So that's another aspect. I mean, times like sounds like we're just making excuses, but these are literally all the things that the meteorologists have to think about when we think about snow. And it's, it does give us headaches. We love it, but we hate it. Senior meteorologist and self-confessed snowmantic, Alex Deacon.
So what can we expect weather-wise over the next few days? Here with the outlook, Aidan McGiven. It's a wet and windy start to the weekend across parts of western UK. And as that rain moves in and bumps into cold air further east, there's the risk of disruptive snow in places. The greatest risk will be over the higher ground of Scotland and northern England. Above 200 metres, 5 to 10 centimetres may accumulate during Saturday morning. But at lower levels for Lincolnshire, East Anglia and the southeast, there's also the risk of some disruptive snowfall. Here again, one to three centimetres widely, five to ten centimetres possible in places, especially for East Anglia. That snow continuing until around early afternoon, but mild air is following on from the west and that mild air will turn much of that snow to rain by the middle of the afternoon. A slow thaw setting in. However, in the southeast and for East Anglia, well, with saturated ground, the thaw of this lying snowfall could cause some issues. Further west, a brighter end to Saturday with a few showers into the northwest and much milder air spreading across the country. Sunday's a quieter day. Many places start off dry with a frost in places and then showers follow into Scotland, Northern Ireland as well as Northern England. But away from these showers, plenty of dry and bright weather. Into the start of next week, some very wet weather is on the way as southwesterly winds return. And those southwesterly winds will dump an awful lot of moisture over the higher ground of Wales, Northern England and Scotland. That, combined with snowmelt, could cause some real issues between Monday and Wednesday. Thanks, Aidan. Ice is a prominent feature of our UK winters, ice on roads being a particular hazard. Given the current cold conditions, how do highways agencies keep our roads safe for drivers? Well, it all comes down to road surface temperature. Here's senior operational meteorologist Helen Roberts. Mainstream weather forecasts provide a regional indication of air temperature. This is typically measured around 1.25 metres above the ground. For those charged with keeping our highways clear and safe, it's vital to know what the road surface temperature or RST is likely to be. Road surface temperatures and that of the air, grassy surfaces or car windscreens can vary considerably, even at the same location. This is because they have different physical properties with different specific heat capacities. Specific heat capacity is the amount of energy required to change the temperature of one kilogram of a substance by one degree Celsius. This has a large effect on the temperature of a surface and how quickly it will warm up or cool down. Whether the road surface temperature, RST, stays above or below zero is affected by other factors, including the temperature of the ground at depth and the length of the night. During the day, heat is stored in the ground at depth the heat is then released overnight. In summer, more heat is stored during the day than is lost overnight. A reservoir of heat builds up in the ground, acting a bit like a storage heater. And this process continues until the winter, when the ground slowly starts to give up its heat. In the autumn or early winter, heat in the ground may keep road surfaces warmer than the surrounding air, which is why you may see frost on the windscreens of vehicles while the road surface remains unaffected. By midwinter, January for instance, the road surface temperature is likely to be cooler than the air temperature. Long nights mean more heat is lost from the ground, which itself will have less residual heat. 
cloud cover can also influence the RST. On cloudy nights, heat released from the ground will be radiated back down, keeping temperatures higher. On clear nights, temperatures may quickly drop, leading to icy conditions. In midwinter, the angle of incidence of the sun is also a factor. As the sun is at a lower angle in the sky, its rays have a greater depth of atmosphere to travel through and spread over a larger area, and so are less efficient at warming surfaces. This also means buildings, trees and ridges can cast large shadows on surfaces, which may remain below zero throughout the day. It's a complex exercise trying to accurately predict road surface temperatures. The Met Office uses sophisticated temperature models to provide specialist forecasts and advance warnings to highways agencies. This allows the timely use of maintenance teams and surface treatments to reduce the effects of ice and snow and keep road users safely on the move. Just before we go, here's Martin Bowles with last week's highs and lows. Here are your weekly weather extremes from Monday the 4th of January to Sunday the 10th of January. Rather a cold spell. Unusually, Scotland had the mildest temperatures. and 10.0 Celsius was reached at Great Cumbria, a coastal spot on the Kintyre Peninsula on Saturday. Every single mainland observation centre had sub-zero minimums last week. The coldest was a bracing minus 12.3 Celsius at Loch Glascarnock in the Scottish Highlands. That was in the early hours of Wednesday the 6th. The sunniest place was Aberporth in southwest Wales, where 6.7 hours of sunshine were observed on Saturday. Western Scotland had the wettest day. 50.4 millimetres of rain was recorded at Aknagart in the Highlands on Sunday. That's two inches in imperial measurements. That's it for Weathersnap. I'm Claire Nazir. Producer this week is Adrian Holloway. Weathersnap is a podcast by the UK Met Office.